0: People wanna know what other people are doing. They wanna see what their peers are doing. And from my perspective, why recreate the wheel? Someone else has already gone through this analysis. Someone has already come up with a conclusion here. How can we give each other shortcuts? There is far more demand for revenue accountants than there is supply.
1: Dollars. Dollars.
0: Meaning you work with numbers.
2: Oh, it's so much more than that.
0: Modernization. By streamlining the process. So let's get right down to
2: business. And modern problems require modern solutions.
1: Elementary,
0: my dear Holmes. Elementary.
2: Consider it
1: done.
0: This is The Closers. This episode features an interview with the hosts of the Rev Rec Gals podcast, Natasha Costelli, a revenue consultant for AppDev Consulting Group, and Susan Holmes, a revenue recognition consultant at S. Holmes Consulting. Now here's your host, M Daigle. Natasha
2: and Susan, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having us. So good to be here. I start off every episode asking the same question to all of my guests. I'm always curious how you refer to the holistic revenue process. I've sort of gotten a smattering of your typical order to revenue or quote to cash, but I've also gotten some really interesting ones that I'm starting to use in my repertoire as well. How about you guys? How do you refer to that holistic process? Maybe
0: Natasha, if you can go first. Sure, I usually say quote to cash. It's my go-to, it's what I hear the most. so that's what I go with, but I actually really love order to revenue also, just because I'm so focused on revenue, I like <laughs> I like th- that piece of it. And Susan, how about you? Mine tends to be quote to cash. So
1: the typical, embracing yeah, yeah. everything that impacts revenue.
2: Hey, I like it. You know, it's interesting. Some of them have gone as early as like lead because where we capture all of that data. Ooh. And then one that I never had heard before, but I actually have started to really like is to renewal. So I've heard like, you know, lead to reporting, oh. but I really like the lead to renewal. I feel like it encompasses literally Everything. (laughs)
0: Everything. So, something to think about. (laughs) No left step, no step left behind.
2: (laughs) Exactly. I love that. Yeah, Yeah. it's a full customer cycle. (laughs) Exactly. That's exactly it. We're going to start the episode with our off the ledger segment to get to know you a little bit before we get down to business. So, let's roll. Curious how you each initially got into accounting. Was that by accident somewhere along the way? Was it a planned career path? Susan, what about you?
1: Mine is probably more unusual. It's definitely by accident. My background, (laughs) (laughs) my background's all in finance, undergraduate and MBA. And then I technically have a minor in accounting because I had enough classes Mm -hmm. But I was working in finance, I would do some system roles. And then I came back from an expat assignment landed in the revenue team, and stayed in revenue
0: ever since. I love Susan's story, because it's opposite of mine, maybe, (laughs) maybe not opposite. But it's different than mine. So I took the very traditional path, accounting major, KPMG, I will say revenue specifically was sort of a lucky happenstance. I got assigned to a really big client that was a first year client, a technology client in Philadelphia. And I was put on the revenue team. And so I just started reviewing contracts. And there was a woman in particular that came over and said, you're going to review contracts. Are you sure? (laughs) I'm not sure. I just graduated six months ago. Are you sure? And she said, you can do it. And so I fell into the revenue specialty very early on. I continued down that path. I was asked, do you want to continue in this path? And I said, yes. And, and that it, the rest is history, I suppose. And, and then I became a consultant because as a, once I left KPMG, I was on the other side and realized that I needed help and it was so hard to find the help I needed. Mm-hmm. And I said, Hmm, what if I became the consultant that I want to hire? So, so that's what I did about, about 10 years ago now. Wow. Great stories. It's always so interesting to hear about
2: each guest's journey to today, right? It's so interesting. Mm -hmm. But now, before we get into, like, what you're doing right now, I am dying to hear a little bit about, about the story of you two together as a team, the Reveret Gals. I love the name, by the way. I'm so curious, like, how did you two meet, and how did you come to this idea of hosting a podcast together?
1: So Natasha and I were on a project together. Mm -hmm. And then a few years after she reached out to me to do some training and we started down the path of developing training, then ASC 606 came along and then life events came along. And last year I was listening to a seminar by Dean Graziano, who's a contemporary of Tony Robbins, and he was saying, get your message out there. You have experience that other people can learn from. And I thought, oh, well, maybe Natasha and I could do something again. And I have some experience with editing audio, so I could probably do a podcast, but I don't want to do it alone. <laughs> so I reached out to Natasha. She said yes. And here we are.
0: It was funny when we, we met on my, it was my very first consulting client. I, I didn't know, know that. that season, it was my very, <laughs> yeah, it was my very first one, which again was just sort of lucky. Someone introduced me to someone who then introduced me to someone else. And then I talked to the hiring person. They're like, yes. and I was doing this remotely before people were doing remote Mm -hmm. work. So it was a little, it was a little hard to find the right clients, but Susan was at the very first client I was at. And then we went to my second client together. And then, you know, we've worked on many clients over the years and Susan referred to life circumstances. We never quite, when the guidance changed, we never quite got that training to the finish line. I think I was Uh, boarding an airplane. Susan texted me. (laughs) I I was dripping in children. (laughs) I was on an airplane. I had just sort of let go of some work that was keeping me really busy. And I had this opening and she had reached out to me before and it just never worked to try and finish what we had started. And I said, yeah, okay, let's do it. Why not? So, so
2: cool. You know, and it's funny, I have to think you just said, and you had a little bit of time, but if you're dripping with children, I don't know how that's possible, but I, I'm impressed you worked it in. Well, it's all relative. <laughs> let's jump to the general ledger. So, kind of hearing about that, let's jump into what you're each currently working on. Right now and what's got you excited. So, Natasha, it sounds like you're more on the SaaS side of everything, but I also know you've got, well, children and
0: (laughs) podcasts and some other stuff going on. So tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So I have my consulting work, which keeps me busy. And I do have a range of clients, but most frequently I work with SaaS companies. And then I also have RevDesk, which is a learning community that I just got CPE certification for, which I'm super excited about. So now people can get certification through that. So that's something that I'm working on. And then I'm also, I sort of transitioned to working with earlier stage companies. Previously, it was large public companies, which can be really fun and interesting. But getting in on that earlier stage, so now I'm working with a biotech startup and really looking at the whole being involved in how they develop their products and how they structure their agreements and how they put all that together has been a lot of fun.
2: That's really interesting. Now, Susan, how about you maybe in a slightly different space? (laughs) (laughs) So I'm right now bouncing
1: back and forth between former clients, helping backfill, mostly for maternity leaves. (laughs) (laughs) I'm actually starting to wind down because I want to start working just part-time. And then I'm working on the podcast. We're looking at potentially expanding into some little items that you can buy that maybe say things like RevRec for life and (laughs) making decisions (laughs) that count. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
2: all right. Yeah. So given your combined experience with all these various teams, what are some of the some of the changes that you've been seeing in the space within the past three to five years? Maybe it's something with regards to the role in the organization, or maybe some new skill sets that are now required, or maybe different career path options that we're seeing pop up. Susan, do you want to go ahead and get started? Yeah. Uh, so I've seen on the product side, As
1: we've all mentioned, a lot of SaaS and consumption models Mm -hmm. and companies trying to figure that out. What I've also seen is a lot of companies getting more savvy in the use of reporting tools. Mm -hmm. So using things like Tableau, having data warehouses available that the revenue team can then just pull data On their own and not have to rely on somebody else or some fixed report. And that's a big trend I see. And in some companies actually having a team that helps manage that data and that interface between revenue
2: and the systems. It's such a necessary evil. And I think it's only evil because we maybe haven't had those types of reporting tools or the awareness around the data aspect of it, everything comes back to the data. And it's something that comes up so often here on our podcast. So it's not shocking to to hear that. But even you had mentioned something first, Susan, around consumption. That is, you know, something that we're seeing get more and more as, as a new business model or even a, I'll say, evolving business model. It's not necessarily new, but I think the way in which companies are trying to deploy that into their their own system or into their own go-to-market strategies, but it's so heavily dependent on that data piece. So it's like, it's sort of this, how all the worlds sort of collide. And in order to make them truly successful, you need all of those different pieces to work.
1: Yeah. And your data system itself doesn't contain that. So you have to have some kind of interface that pulls your your revenue and your consumption and all of your other data pieces
2: together so that you can get that correct recognition. Absolutely. Now, Natasha, are you seeing something similar, maybe something a little bit different given it's Sa-
0: the, more the SaaS world, I'll say? Sure. Yeah. So I see all those things happening as well. The I think characterizing it as an evolving consumption you know explore, exploration with companies trying to figure out what what works what i'll say as far as the revenue accounting role in conjunction with that i see revenue accounting Part of it is we all just implemented ASC 606 just a few years ago. So there was this really big push on the technical side. And then I think that was followed with, okay, now we figured out our technical positions. How do we operationalize this? And how do we put this into systems and automate it? And then with the complexity of consumption-based models, with the complexity of data warehouses and reporting, I'm seeing the role transition or maybe being complemented by finance transformation or business transformation teams where the revenue accounting group is really taking a lead in figuring out how to get all those systems to talk to each other, how to get the reporting in the right place, how to get it integrated, because ultimately we rely on that in order to get our financial reporting put together in a way that feels accurate and complete. And so we need those reports to pass a certain muster. And so I'm seeing more and more of the revenue accounting teams either taking on that responsibility or adding it on to their roles and responsibilities or maybe even creating a separate team that sort of lives adjacent to to their team.
2: You know, and it's funny that you say like almost create a separate team. I've seen that emerge more And more, it's becoming more of the norm, even um, to have Mm -hmm. these teams. And they're they're sort of called different things, and they have different names. But the function themselves is really very similar. And it's interesting how sort of that evolution, where process and technology Mm -hmm. and all everything kind of meets, and then you've got these guidelines and these rules and everything. But it's interesting to make it all work. And I I really think it's interesting that the RevRec teams are almost guiding that process. They're sort of at the end of the process if you think about it. But really sure, it goes back and sort of like can help guide everything. If it's not working
0: on the front end. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, if it's not working on the front end, it's not going to work on the back end and and you're right that it's it's evolving now and it's called different things. I think people are really trying to figure out what makes sense here. As far as how that team functions and where do they live? And
2: I, I would agree. Now, many of our guests on our podcast have really mentioned that accounting teams are almost in this like existential struggle where those processes and those technologies, or maybe it's lack thereof, or they're just trying to figure out what that is, <laughs> are just not compatible with the modern businesses. and and what those businesses are demanding. What are some of the common challenges Mm -hmm. that they come to each of you with and how do you help them solve
0: some of those challenges? I think a lot of times it's coming up with new product or business models where maybe they've figured out their revenue accounting for straight line (laughs) SaaS revenue, start date, end date, spread it like peanut butter as one of my old bosses (laughs) used to say. And so they have a revenue accounting system and process set up to mm-hmm. do that. And then a new product comes along and everything breaks. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of times it's it's assessing, do I have a problem here? How should I shape it? How can I influence this new program coming out so it's more manageable? And then ultimately, how do I put this into a process and a system that I can operationalize on a regular basis. So I, I see that a lot. And then they bring someone like me or Susan in in a few different ways. It could be trying to help them shape it. It could be asking for technical questions and what does the guidance say? What are my different options? What have you mm-hmm. seen? You know, I think even on our podcast, we talked a lot about people want to know what you've <laughs> yep. seen because we have the benefit of going to a lot of different companies. So yes, what we've seen and then ultimately helping out with implementations or process any any piece of the puzzle there, Susan? How about you? Yeah,
2: she's pretty much said
1: a lot of it. I get a a lot of questions. What have you seen? How have other companies addressed this? What are what are ideas and thoughts for how to deal with it? I'm seeing a lot more where the teams are working with upstream new product introductions, so needing help to understand how can we structure this and how can we get the data to help them out? So using some of that experience to help them help their teams internally.
2: Yeah. And, you know, Susan, just kind of thinking, if you're maybe on the side of, or, or recently have some situations where you are providing coverage while someone's out on, say, maternity leave, do you find that you have the sort of the opportunity to approach maybe a business that wasn't thinking about changing something in their process or their tech stack, but because of your experience and the breadth that you have across different companies, maybe different industries, that you can say, have you ever thought of doing it this way and sort of help them along the way while you're in there really just, you know, to maybe keep keep the day-to-day operations going, but you kind of think, gosh, there's got to be a better way to do this. Do you have opportunities (laughs) to do that?
1: Whether I have opportunities or not, I do it. (laughs) I (laughs) I love it. Great (laughs) answer. (laughs) I give a lot of feedback to my clients. Have you thought about doing this quarterly? (laughs) Have you thought about pulling this? You know, this is immaterial. Do you really need to be doing it? Or is there Mm -hmm. another way we can do it? Because, one of the challenges we have as a consultant is we have to get up to speed very quickly. Mm-hmm. And so we have to figure things out. And if it's too complicated, it's going to take too long. And in doing that, it's why, why are you doing this step? Mm-hmm. Can you combine it with that? Why is it done this way? Can you pull the information from somewhere else? And those questions, I just, I'm big at asking questions. And I just keep asking. And sometimes I hit a wall and they don't want to change and that's fine. You know, Mm -hmm. and then I just say, well, here are my
0: ideas, something to think about for the future. I think that's a great point, too, because I think often a process is set up and then it's continued and rolled over and rolled over and rolled over and while it may have made sense when it was set up and it may have made sense for the first year or two, if we're coming in three years later and it hasn't been reevaluated with fresh eyes and changing circumstances, it's time for a fresh look. And it's just the benefit of fresh eyes. So sometimes it's like, oh, good point. We haven't evaluated that. We should do that. And then other times they might be more resistant and that's fine too, but it, it is we have a benefit as consultants to be able to do that.
2: Yeah, I think the the fresh set of eyes is sort of everything. I even see it sometimes when we go in to help companies streamline their process with some technology. And as we're going through a business requirements session, it's sort of sometimes I find them digging their heels in, well, it has to be done this way. And really when we uncover it, it comes down to there's no real good reason they're necessarily doing it. And nobody in the room even really understands or can defend why they're doing it. It's not that they're doing it wrong. It's just it's sort of the, well, it's always been done that way type of um, mentality. Right, right? But when challenged and push comes to shove, it kind of like makes sense. Like, oh, well, maybe that, maybe we don't need that step. Or maybe that was in place, like you said, Natasha, because we needed it at one point in time, but no longer need it. So I think being able to have consultants like yourselves in there to be able to sort of poke at some of those things is helpful to any organization. So, Natasha, let's talk a little bit more about RevDesk. I love the idea of a community for revenue accounting professionals, something that I'm very passionate about. And it's such a small community. I don't think everybody realizes just how small it is. I've (laughs) run into so many people multiple times in my career. Tell me a little bit more about the need for this community and what you're hoping to help them accomplish.
0: Sure, I, I think something that I see a lot and what we've already talked about is people want to know what other people are doing and and they don't they want to see what their peers are doing. And from my perspective, why recreate the wheel? Someone else has already gone through this analysis. Someone has already come up with a conclusion here. How can we give each other shortcuts? There is far more demand for revenue accountants than there is supply. And you see that over and over again. And part of the reason I love being a revenue consultant, the, my favorite part is that I get to work with really smart, really hardworking people. But I also don't necessarily want them having to work so hard <laughs> because it really, I mean, some of, some of the people that I'm working with, I, I just want them to be able to work a little less. And that's why I'm there is to help them and take some things off their plates. But I also think that we can work smarter when we're sharing ideas and bouncing things off each other, revenue is very rarely straightforward. It's often a zigzag (laughs) line to get to a conclusion. And two heads are always better than one when talking through those conclusions. I almost never get to the right answer the first time By myself in my own head. And I find revenue accounting can also be a little intimidating for people. (laughs) And so I also, I don't, it's not rocket science. It's hard. It's challenging. It's technical. It's can be an operational nightmare. But For general accountants who are revenue-curious or maybe for revenue accountants just starting out and maybe their manager or senior manager or director is so busy they don't have the time to provide them the education and mentorship that they're looking for, I think there are other ways we can provide resources for people who are interested in revenue, adjacent to revenue, revenue revenue-curious, so that they can get the tools they need to ask the right questions and get the information they need to help them work smarter and more informed. I love that. And I love the term revenue curious. I'm totally
2: going to adopt <laughs> that and I will give credit where it's due. Um, but I love that. <laughs> Fair
0: enough, go for it. <laughs> so I love the idea of
2: this educating revenue teams, helping them grow. What are some of the educational gaps that you see as most urgent? Are there some that keep popping
0: up that you feel like we as a community should attack first? In general, there's just not enough revenue accountants. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, I what I look for in, in a strong revenue account is someone who can ask smart questions and and understand the underlying why of why something is happening one way or the other. There's nothing more dangerous than an accountant, I guess any account, but I guess I'll speak specifically to revenue mm-hmm. accounts that that doesn't ask the right questions and that lets things go. And so the first piece is being able to jump in, Head first, mm-hmm. and start asking questions. And so I guess from what I see as the gap is really the confidence for people to ask the questions and feel comfortable diving in. And so that's why, I, you know, I try to make it very accessible to just get in because I think it's a, a confidence and, and just getting people in the door to revenue. I, yeah, okay. I love it.
1: One thing I, th- I see in a lot of even people in revenue is they don't all have exposure to the contract. And I feel like that's one thing Natasha and I have talked about is we started out reading contracts, and that's where we started our revenue journey because that contract is so important. It can have little nuances that if you can understand those, you're a step closer to really, truly understanding
0: revenue recognition. That's a great point. Both of us started with contract review, and I do think it's the best way to just get in is to start reading contracts and asking questions. What does this mean? And then you start to see how the guidance fits into the way a contract is structured and and the economic substance of it.
2: Absolutely. And I love the idea of confidence on top of that. I can remember my first contract that I was reading through. It was about yay thick in paper terms, which doesn't mean anything (laughs) to anybody anymore. (laughs) Um, But I can remember just pouring through it and thinking, how am I supposed to know if this is good, bad, or indifferent? Like, this is just a lot of words that I'm reading. And so to your point, like asking the question. So I went through it once and I thought, this can't be right. That I went through all these pages and didn't find anything. So then I started to go through and started highlighting the things that I know I wanted to understand more. And I was lucky enough mm-hmm. at the time to have a manager who was incredible. She sat down with me and went through it and was like, well, this is why it's problematic or this is why it's okay. And so then like to your right. point, like the more you do that, the more confident I felt and the more I could challenge certain things or know when I could go ask a mm-hmm. question. And no question is a silly question. But when you're just starting out, you're like, am I just supposed to know this inherently? <laughs> so I, yeah, yeah that, that confidence is everything. As we end here, I just wanted to think about the future of accounting. One of the things that does keep popping up as a common theme on this podcast is around AI. And I'm curious, and maybe Susan, you can go first. Do you see AI come up a lot in your conversations with clients? And maybe what do you think specifically about AI in finance and RevRec accounting?
1: I think AI is a good tool to sort of learn, you know, with the example of the contract, using AI to say, you know, what else is out there? What is a typical paragraph for warranty look like? Or, Mm -hmm. you know, what are some things other companies are doing? We had a guest, Jill Hawk, on our program, and she talked about using AI to help you develop your 10 Ks and your 10 Qs and that standard language. And that Mm -hmm. was, I thought was really great because then you can see what your competitors have written because they're going to be doing similar to what you're doing. So why reinvent the language?
2: Exactly. And Natasha, from your perspective, I'd be curious if maybe SaaS companies might be thinking about a little more, a little less, or maybe the same.
0: Yeah, I think... It feels still very early stage because I think there's AI in the context of our clients and how they're bringing it on to their products, mm-hmm. right? And so everyone's starting to embed it into their functionality. And what does that look like? How does that impact the way contracts might be structured? Is it going to be, you know, we're, we're doing a lot of consumption-based models. That's what sort of is evolving on. In the industry from what I've seen. But when AI comes in, is that going to be another layer? Is it going to be structured differently in contracts in the future? I think we're still in the early stages of seeing how it will all come about. I'm excited because my hope is, is that just like any other technology, what it can do is give us a little bit, it's, it's another mm-hmm. tool. It's another tool to help us make sure that we're catching everything, that we have completeness in our assessments and that what hopefully it will do is help us bring the big issues up so that we can spend our time on the big issues and it can take care of some of the smaller issues and be another tool to help us identify potential red flags in our in our accounting.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's going to help up-level that profession so that maybe we can get to a point where we have more revenue accountants who are looking for jobs because it's something that they want to do. It feels a little bit more enticing rather than just being this data pushing type of thing that I think it gets a bad rap for sometimes.
0: Absolutely. Okay.
2: So final question for each of you, Natasha, let's start with you. What do you think is the most common misconception about the role of revenue accounting
0: in business? Sure. I think this is an easy one and it feeds off of kind of what you were just saying this. I think accounting in general has this brand or old, old way of thinking where there's a very specific person and what they look like and how they talk and what they're interested in. And you think of office space and the stapler (laughs) and it just, you know, it's a very stereotypical accountant. And I think that what you'll find is most accounting departments, you have a much wider range of people and you have a lot more dynamics at play within an accounting department. Now within your revenue accounting department, you have to be able to negotiate with sales organization, with product development. It's not just cross-team collaboration. It's cross-team collaboration with your legal teams, your sales department, your product teams, who are probably your most extroverted, the like most well-versed in negotiation. <laughs> so it, it requires a certain personality to be able to engage with, with those organizations. And so I think the misconception I see is that the revenue accountants are there to stop the business and there to prevent or are hurdles to be overcome. And I think in a in a well-functioning organization with the right tone of collaboration, the revenue accounts can actually be helpful. And if you bring them in early enough in the discussions, they want the business to do well in 99% of cases. They want to facilitate the business and to be able to, be someone who takes away friction, not creates friction. And what I find is the earlier on we are in the conversation, the more empowered we can be to do that with the organization. So if they're involving us in the front end and saying, hey, we want to roll out a new partner organization. We're envisioning three different tiers and we want it to look something like this. We can come and say, that sounds great. Have you thought about this? We could structure it like that. What we really need is a way to measure all of these things. Have you talked to the engineering department? Oh no, we haven't <laughs> talked about that. Great. Why don't we start that now so we can roll this out sooner and we'll be ready to hit the ground running on your timeline? Whereas if they brought that to us in the eleventh hour and we said, "Hey guys, this is a cool program, but we have no idea how we're going to measure it, how we're going to bill, how we're going to report," you need to give us six months to pull all this together. Well, now we look like we're trying to stop the business, and that's just not the case. So I think the, in summary, it's we're here to help. We're here to remove friction. We can be collaborators and I work really well with teams to put together a structure that makes sense and will work really well. And so, the earlier you bring us on, the better.
2: Agreed, and we're fun.
0: <laughs> yeah, we're so much fun.
2: I had to add that in. I was like hoping to <laughs> yes, sneak <absolutely>. that in. absolutely.
0: <laughs> yeah, we. I I think that in general, accounting needs a little bit of a rebrand to to add a little bit of the fun but certainly revenue counts. Especially.
2: Absolutely, you know. It's funny. I'm not sure if you guys watch The Office at all, and or did watch The Office. It's yes. on constant rerun here yeah. at my house. But I always think of like you've got Angela in the accounting department. I'm like, oh my gosh, like she's literally like buttoned up with her little white shirt that she always wears and her perfect hair. As yeah. mine's probably looking a little crazy. And you know, so I like to think we're not anything like them.
0: Yes. Well, and Kevin was the other yes. one. Yes. Isn't Kevin an accountant? So these are. This is what the world thinks. <laughs> and that is like. not and, it. and some of them might. Yeah. And that's great. But also there's everything. In exactly. <laughs> all right. Perfect. And now,
2: Susan, curious um, for, for your last question here. What's the one mistake that you consistently see accounting teams make all the time when it comes to automation processes and just how they operate?
1: I think one of the mistakes is they get too complicated. So if you have nine different product lines, having rules or processes for each one separate, (laughs) versus consolidating it, simplifying it, looking at, okay, these three product lines, maybe it's support and SaaS and another cloud offering are all recognized upon delivery through the end of the term. Let's create one rule. So if we give a new offering that's got that same fact pattern, we don't have to create a new rule, we can just click it in. Mm-hmm. and seeing companies they just they they need to just step back and think how can i make this simpler how can i do less modifications less configurations so that it's just it's easier in the whole process
2: scalability is huge and if you kind of set yourself mm-hmm. up for that from the beginning it makes it so much easier going forward and it's interesting what you've both brought up here kind of play off one another. So Natasha bringing up, you know, being that partner to the business and coming in sooner to be able to help out. And then Susan, to your point, simplifying and making sure you can scale those two things together, make for a win-win all around. Yeah, agreed. Mm -hmm. Well, Natasha and Susan, thank you so, so much for joining me today. It's been such a pleasure chatting to both of you and I can't wait to have you back again.
0: Thank you. It's It's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much yeah, for having thank us. Thank you for having us. And listeners, my
2: DMs are always open to you. Feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn at mdaigle. Links are in the show notes. And stay in touch for more episodes and insights from other revenue and accounting leaders. Thanks for tuning in. And we'll see you next time.